You're listening to Money and Meaning, Unlikely Allies, Building New Markets for Impact. With your hosts, Lindsay Smalling and Alex Kravitz. Check out our website, socialcapitalmarkets.net. Let's join the conversation. Welcome back to Money and Meaning. I'm your host, Alex Kravitz. For today's episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Tom Ferguson, the Vice President of Programming for Imagine H2O. Imagine H2O is a global accelerator that has been operating since 2009. It focuses on startups that are working to solve some of the world's most pressing water challenges. In our conversation, Tom walks me through both the scope and the urgency of this challenge and talks about some of the technological innovations he's seeing at various points in the water cycle. Tom also talks about industries that are particularly wasteful when it comes to water, and there are a number of them that I certainly didn't expect. And he explains what somebody like myself, who isn't an investor, can do to to play our part in solving this challenge. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. So Imagine H2O, your your organization, is an accelerator for startups working to solve the global water challenge. Mm -hmm. Can you provide a little bit of context around what you mean by by the global water challenge? Uh, Excellent foundational question. I suppose I'd kind of cut this into two pieces, um, uh, kind of the macro and and the micro. Like really at 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 the source of this is essentially a mismatch between the demand for water at the macro scale kind of across the world and actually increasingly, you know, society or the infrastructural uh, ability to actually deliver that amount of water. There was a great um, New York Times article that came out just, uh, I think, two days ago called Merchants at First, and it's a real kind of microcosm of this. Um, They estimated that in in Kathmandu, the demand was 400 million litres per day, but actually the supply of water was in the region of 90 to 150 million litres per day. So it's like over double the demand versus the supply. And I think when you draw that out on the macro scale, you're going to see the same patterns repeating. But the thing that makes water particularly idiosyncratic is that it is very, very local. You know, we've seen a, a ton of different examples from, you know, here in California to Australia to, you know, to Chennai to, uh, to Cape Town, where actually, you know, that's really what is happening. That there is, there is not enough water relative to demand. Um, but then you're seeing, you know, in the, the Corn Belt in the U.S. last year, you're seeing an absolute excess of water, an inability to deal with the amount of water that is coming into your, your ecosystem. So the, the global water challenge is, is really about balancing the micro and the macro. But like people, as well as industry, agriculture, everybody needs water in the right place, in the right quantity, at the right quality, at the right time. And doing that is unbelievably hard. Everybody takes it for granted and it's underpriced. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, I think. And what specifically does Imagine H2O do to try to solve these challenges that you're describing? <laughs> well, our founders looked at the, looked at the world of um, entrepreneurship in water 10 years ago uh, and it was kind of extraordinarily challenging. So it's tough starting a business. It's really tough starting a business in water. I mean, we can get into, into why. Um, but this was about three, three years after Y Combinator started. And they sort of said, hey, there's this idea of accelerators like out there. What happens if we started one that was specifically focused on the water sector? Um, and so in, uh, in 2009, we just celebrated our 10th year last year. They really started to build 
the infrastructure uh, that founders in the water sector would need to be able to go faster, further and faster with their solutions with us and on their own. We're a non-profit, right? So the mission was uh, set up, and that mission is to empower people to develop and deploy innovation to solve water challenges globally. So, so the why of us is not about financial return. Yeah, if we do our job right, then that's going to come, and that's great. But what we're really looking for is ecosystem impact. And we really work with entrepreneurs to allow them to be kind of the, the nodes for impact within their given problem area. Everything from smallholder farmers in West Africa all the way to the citizens of Washington, D.C. But we think that if you can get a water solution out there into the market, you are solving a challenge. Uh, and there's a necessary kind of one-to-one -one impact between operating commercially in the water sector and the impact you're, you're going to have. So that's that's what we do. And we run three core programs. Um, so the core accelerator that's been going for 10 years, we've worked with uh, about 125 individual companies. Those companies have raised on aggregate about 500 million, uh, 300 million, which excitingly has come in the last two years. So this is kind of working up. Uh, and then last year was the first year of Imagine H2O Asia, which is a Singapore-based accelerator looking to bridge companies into the Southeast Asian region. Um, and then we have our Urban Water Challenge, um, which is uh, really awesome, uh, backed by two fantastic philanthropies, the 11th Hour Foundation and Blue Water in Sweden. Um, and that's more of a kind of regulation prize, but the focus is on the deployment side of it. So it's all about getting these things into the ground. We provide deployment grants. So we do a lot with seven people. <laughs> <laughs> operating across two country offices, and we think we have an outsized uh, amount of impact, but oh boy, oh, is there a lot of work to do. How'd you land on Southeast Asia? Is that an area that's particularly susceptible yeah. to, to these water issues, or how did that become the second office? No, it's a, it's a good question, and it's, one, it's something we were very deliberate about. Um, we run a China program, um, which, was, uh, which was really interesting and eye-opening, because they have properly, I mean, I hesitate to use the word existential lightly, but I don't think it's inappropriate here. Um, really existential uh, issues with water. Um, and we worked with 24 companies, and it was a, it was a really interesting experience um, uh, for the single year. But in essence, we decided that actually China was a mixture between unbelievably complicated and actually quite simple industry to set up a business that is capitalized on its own, find a local partner, and kind of where you go. Mm -hmm. um, and we really wanted to find a partner that would work with us where we could help people obviously on the, um, on the impact side of it as well as really help them establish a, an entrepreneurial ecosystem there. And we really, we worked with, the, with Enterprise Singapore uh, and Singapore PUB, which is the utility in Singapore, mm -hmm. um, through our, the first year of our Open Water Challenge in, in 2018, establishing an Asia track. And that just gone really well. Um, and so we decided that we that yes, this was the time, um, and that Singapore has got a fantastic entrepreneurial ecosystem. There's some areas where we thought we could help. Um, they've got the fantastic water utility, which is really is the best in the world. And then it's a jumping off point to the rest of the region. Um, and so we had opportunities in India, in Mexico, in Europe, in China, obviously to go back there. But we decided that it was the first place to take it out, and uh, then Southeast Asia was the one to go. And it's been it's been great. We're expanding it. Um, it's been a, a, a lot of fun. So, you know, theory proved so far, at least. You mentioned that this is a particularly challenging area for startups, and I'm, I imagine that to be the case. You have, you have government-granted monopolies, uh, yeah. and you're selling into the public sector. I imagine in a lot of cases, yeah. uh, 
what have the the outcomes been like? Kind of gratifyingly good. So we were directly responsible for like over thirty five deployments of technology last year, either directly financed or just through the introductions that we made. Um, I mean, obviously, it depends on how you cut outcomes, right? I've mentioned that the dollar numbers going into our current alumni companies, um, we think 300 million in the last two years is good, but it's not necessarily the right absolute metric, um, just because like there are more companies in there over time, uh, and we're getting better at selecting, but the competition for actual entry into the accelerator means that we've got a better pick um, of, the, uh, of the companies who are kind of coming in. Um, so the outcomes as we see it, the most important one for us, is the self-assessment of how much faster people are going relative to plan with us than they were able to on their own. That's the kind of fundamental view of the accelerator. Uh, and at the moment, what we're averaging, kind of a three-year rolling average, is people are looking at about 75 to 80% faster working with us than they, than they are relative to their own plan. And that manifests itself in whatever you think of this as a metric, but everything from hiring to performance against um, revenue to whether or not they are getting further and faster with the development of their product to you know, resilient supply chains, all this kind of stuff that you would, uh, that you would want to see. Um, but it's important, I think, to uh, recognize the, uh, the difficulties of water, especially on kind of the impact investment side, because it's easy to get excited about. I mean, you the phrase we use is that you throw a cat and you get a billion dollar market in, in water, right? It's, just, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, it is enormous. It's a 985 billion sustainable water management market by, um, uh, by 2025. Um, so there's an enormous prize out there. But you've hit on a couple of like the really fundamental things is that, you know, you've got to have good customers. And, you know, in many cases or most cases, these make kind of enterprise software sales look like something that you can kind of do in the Sunday morning market, like, you know, it's a 50 second transaction, right? You know, this is tough stuff. Um, and so, you know, people getting used to managing those long sales cycles, making sure their unit economics uh, makes sense in the context of those long sales cycles. Like there's a whole smorgasbord of advice that we can give directly, but also it's about plugging into our, our network. Um, but from the investment side of things, uh, a lot of people aren't bullish about uh, venture investments in in water, um, but certainly I think that the that the that the fundamentals and increasingly actually just the dollar amounts uh, going in, um, as well as in, uh, some some exciting activity on the exit side. Mm -hmm. I, I I think it's looking up as an impact market, which is is good. But my God, do I have all of my digits crossed because <laughs> well, it's tough tough. Work. Do you have an example of a, a startup that is doing particularly exciting or impactful work in this How space? How you know, between your children and it's not, <laughs> it, it doesn't even have to be a part of your accelerator. No, it, it really is all over the map. And, oh my God, all of the founders just said, how do you just refer to me as one of your children? I'm not one of your children, Tom. Um, <laughs> no, it's some, um, they really are, the great thing about water is that you, I mean, it's everything from, you know, someone like Silver Trenchless who are developing trenchless technology, which you can think about it as kind of minimally invasive surgery, but for pipe replacement underground. Okay. So everybody hates having the rope cut up because distraction cost and all the rest of it. These guys can drill one, uh, can drill one hole and then horizontally install pipes. They do it at 60% less cost. They're doing amazing Venezuelan brothers who are initially operating in Colombia. 
Um, and then there's all the way to kind of wastewater treatment. Someone like uh, someone like Aquafortis, for example, from New Zealand, who have kind of a material science um, approach to uh, to purifying wastewater. Most people in wastewater want to get the, the the stuff out of the water. Their approach is to flip that. They get the water out of the stuff. They've created two individual media. One which is incredibly um, hydrophilic. And so when they put it in solution into a big vat of wastewater with a whole bunch of contaminants in it, the water just binds to that thing. And then, you, and then all the rest of the stuff that is in the water precipitates off mm -hmm. in a solid format and get it. And then they basically put it into another tank and they reverse that process so the water comes out and then they can regenerate their, their materials. But our winner last year is a great case in point of seeing the world as it is, not necessarily how they would like it to be. A lot of people approach the water sector in that, I'm a homeowner, I want to have a leak detection for the home. It just happens to be a zillion of those examples out there. And we think that that market to a certain extent is, is kind of gone. Um, what they did is identify a true pain point for a utility. And everybody thinks utilities suck as customers. Like if you really understand a pain point of a utility, you can make them act as if they are the best customers in the whole world. These are very large. SaaS contracts, referring, recurring revenue that can make you build, that help you build a serious business. But what they've done is essentially take a logistical challenge off the, um, the uh, utility, which is under the lead and copper rule, people who ask your utility for testing of their water at the tap, they have to comply with that within, within I think, a three month window. In Pittsburgh, they've gone from 30 requests to 3,000 by between 2015 and 2017. Is that a result of the Flint water crisis? Or partially, the, yeah, partially. It, it reflects a change in consumer attitude okay. to the water. Like the, the, one of the big things the water sector is going to have to address is the, is the increasing um, undermining of trust of what is coming out of the, uh, of the tap. Mm -hmm. um, it creates all sorts of interesting dynamics, including the marketing law, which we can kind of get into. But really what Pittsburgh had turned into is that everybody was all hands on deck to process these samples. Now, data's all over the place and bits of paper and samples lying around the office and it's a disaster, right? What you needed was a smart software people who, a smart software people to come in to create the interfaces, to create the workflows, um, to be able to work with existing labs to be able to process these samples. Because most people would look at this and say, how about if we created something that could you know, test us at the tap? There is absolutely room for that, and there are some really interesting emerging technologies that are going after that particular space. But we really like this idea of treating the world as it is, not how you would like it to be, at least initially it's your first approach to the market, and that's something that 120 Water did really well. So, yeah, I mean, you can just look at the announcement. We announced on the on, on January the 6th, the, the 2020 Accelerator Companies, and that is everything from Again, utility-based software to near-shore um, uh, wave energy desalination. Um, it's, it's, it's all over the place, um, which makes this fun, but it doesn't mean that we have to understand what is relevant to all of these founders. Um, uh, and so we are, a lot of our work is, is, um, is tailored to each individual company, but we are also looking for like, what are the fundamental elements that can help you as an entrepreneur succeed? What is the, the, the foundation of a, of a strong business in water? And it doesn't necessarily vibe with what usually the VC advice would be. So you've mentioned companies in three separate countries as far as New Zealand. Right. Yeah. How, do the, how do these challenges compare 
domestically versus globally, or or is it is it one challenge? So um, there are crossovers between the challenges, right? You know, they are there are panoply of them everywhere. But you will see the same things recurring again, again, and again. Whether it's in the UK, where I'm from, in the US, or whether it's in Vietnam or Indonesia, or whatever. I mean, like. You've got to make the pipes, make sure the pipes are leak. You've got to make sure there's enough energy for the uh, water treatment system to do what they're doing. You've got to make sure that the water treatment systems are up to code to make sure that the water's coming out of the tap is actually able to be drunk, right? Again, again, water in the right place at the right quantity and the right quality at the right time. This, this is universal. This is what we need to provide to, to everybody. Um, but, you know, London, for example, they stuck their sewer system in in the Victorian here. Right. Um, whereas, you know, uh, US cities don't have that issue. Um, but if you're talking domestically in, in the US, like, you know, the, the grades given out to the water and wastewater infrastructure, uh, which I believe were D and D minus, um, respectively, uh, like those, they're not messing about. Right. You know, these aren't just like, you've got to do a bit better. Um, I don't think there's, it's a, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that the state of water infrastructure in the U.S. should be a matter of national concern. Uh, and concern is too light to work. It's, it's great that this is becoming part of the policy landscape. You know, you're seeing Warren and Buttigieg putting out really quite interesting uh, water infrastructure uh, plans. But, like, there's a whole load of money uh, that needs to go into this. But, like, the most illustrative thing, um, this great guy called Manny Teodoro at UT, um, and we're having a... Twitter conversation. My my question was, like, how many water utilities in the U.S. are kind of functionally insolvent? Like, how many of them are actually be able to provide water to code, as stated by the uh, AWWA or, or similar uh, organizations, by the the quality and quantity uh, that they need to under their mandate as as providers of water uh, within their overall financial model. Um, and the estimation is like somewhere between 60 and 70 percent. Just the, 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 the financial model doesn't work, right? right? Wow. Like they don't operate as independent financial entities, even when they have an active natural monopoly over the water system that they are providing, right? And so, what the money they've got to raise prices, or they've got to be supported from outside. Because the longer you wait to do the infrastructure upgrades, the higher the bill gets. But the technical debt bill is going to have to be paid at some point, otherwise, you know, it feels like Flint is going to be a walk in the park. I imagine that some of the challenges of getting taxpayers to want to invest in infrastructure and getting investors into these startups are, yeah. are, are similar. Because, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but <clears throat> I mean, in the US, with water as a public utility, We've kind of been conditioned not to think about it. You yep. turn on a tap, water yeah. comes out. You turn off the tap. You know, you you pay a bill, but besides that, it's it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and that, like, how do you raise awareness both for for infrastructure and in, in, in public projects like that, and for investors who are maybe considering this space? Or are they two separate questions? It's a, it, it's a great question, and to a certain extent, that is the nine hundred eighty-five billion dollar question. <laughs> you know, it's like, I like that you don't say one trillion. It's very specific. So I basically what you're talking about is is a willingness to pay. Mm -hmm. Right. 
um, and on the investor side of things, if you've got a company with great growth prospects that you know seems to be thinking about this in the right way and has a proven ability to execute and all that other stuff that investors are looking at, investors then have a willingness to pay for the equity for that water technology in our case, right? So we try and help people make that case. But when you're looking at the um, uh, when you're looking at the, the public side of th uh, things and the, and the taxpayer side of things, it's really interesting to use the word invest. Um, it, it might be a good way to frame. Right, is that actually an investment in water infrastructure is an investment in the long-term sustainability of your community. Um, but very rarely are tax dollars um, or, or utility bills framed in that way. Usually when utilities communicate with people, it's in, it's in two individual points in time. Firstly, when they're asking you for money. Mm -hmm. and secondly, when things go wrong. And both of those are terrible times to talk to people, right? <laughs> right in terms of yeah. building trust and incre increasing kind of willingness to pay. Um, but there's a, within the water, there is a real focus, I think, or an emerging, anyway, focus on communication. You know, when you go around, I know PG&E has, has had its troubles, to, to put it kind of lightly. Um, but nonetheless, you walk around, you know, San Francisco, and on the side of the MTA buses, there's the dude in the hard hat with a harness, and he's at the pole, and he's fixing the, the lines, and the family are looking up, and they're all hugging each other and smiling up at him, and, you know, it's inevitably him. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the, there's, there's an effort to be like, we are here for you, we are a political community, like, we haven't necessarily been, you know, financially in the best shape in PG&E's case, but there is a branding effort. Mm -hmm. And I was so heartened the other day, I saw on Twitter that SFPC, SF Walker, heard they had designed a social media asset that said something along the lines of, remember to drink tap, SF Walker. Right, mm -hmm. and it had an aerial photo of San Francisco, and it was done kind of. If you visited uh, um, their premises, it was very much kind of on brand, and it was like a relatively sophisticated piece of communications out into the mass market to get people to issue the bottled water that people are increasingly getting used to, and reminding them that actually this is some of the purest tap water in the country. Um, and just like it is with anything else, this is a branding exercise. Um, increasing willingness to pay is about changing the dynamic between utilities and their customers, where they realize that actually the utility they get from being able to fill up a bowl full of water or pan full of water for their pasta or have a shower in the morning or wash their kid or make sure that their infant formula isn't you know, chock full of heavy metals, that this is something that is much more useful to them than a cell phone. And you know, in some areas of the world, in some areas of the country, the cost is on on parity. But do you know how much you pay for your water bill on a monthly basis? I think I pay around eighty dollars a month. Directionally, right? Yeah. Directionally, yes, but you couldn't put your number on the actual, on the actual amount. Yeah, and and that's fine. You are exactly the same as even people within the water sector. I mean, I've seen this done in rooms where like eighty percent of people are like ah, ballpark. Um, the utility you get from clean water is miles ahead of whether it's your mobile phone, or your next Netflix package, or like whatever. This is a question of elevating the H2O molecule in terms of your overall willingness to pay and your, and your budget, but you have to make sure that that is done in an equitable manner. Like, and it's cool, like all utilities, because it's uniform pricing, it is a regressive tax. And so you have to make sure that, you know, 25,000 people who were least willing, able to pay had their, um, had their account shut off in Detroit this year. Um, and in winter in Detroit, that is rough. 
Um, so you have to make sure that the that the impact of price rises, um, which these inevitably are going to have to, inevitably there are going to have to be, don't fall regressive and fall on the, the least able to pay, and that's that's tough. Philadelphia is doing some really interesting work on it, um, and we'll see more and more. Um, but at its core, this is a this is a, a messaging and a branding issue. You've mentioned supply issues, and you've mentioned yeah. infrastructure issues. Yeah. Are those the two kind of major like pillars of water challenges globally? Yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're two of the major ones. I think we, we try and kind of, it's, it's circular, right? It's, there's a reason why it's called water cycle, right? Because it kind of goes round and round and round, and everybody's scared of recycled water. What we have is kind of what we have. Right, this has been recycled for million, literally millions of years. Like dinosaurs are drinking this stuff. Right, you don't like to start recycled water. Like <laughs> you've got a problem. Yeah. Um, I would the way we kind of cut it. Um, we cut it by kind of areas of um, or, or uh, areas of technology. So everything from kind of uh, software and automation to wastewater treatment to drinking water treatment to. But I think it, there's a you know, for people coming in this for the first time. It's it's worth looking at this on kind of like the wastewater and then the water side of things. So wastewater comes in, then you've got the full treatment train, and then you've got the, uh, the disposition of that wastewater, you know, et cetera, et cetera, going round through the cycle. And then it's the same thing through the drinking water. So everything from uh, the pipelines into the filtration elements, all of the filtration elements, all of the energy that goes into uh, the, the treatment of both uh, drinking water and wastewater. Um, but treatment and conveyance is a decent way of looking at it. I think what that misses that I think is going to become more and more important is what's going on on the consumer side of things. Everything from leak detection to uh, to um, technology at the tap to the testing environment, um, because that's you know it's also the consumer, but also the quality of the water uh, water entering buildings in an industrial context, for example. So if you're Intel, you need ultra pure water to be able to like build your uh, to build all of the things that you're building in your fab. Mm -hmm. And they treat it on site, but actually the quality of the water that's coming through onto that property is, uh, is, is, is crucial to make sure that their treatment trains can do it. Um, I think in terms of my explanation, what I've probably come up with is that there's quite a lot more than the, uh, than the treatment of the, and the conveyance, but as a place to start, it's a, it's, it's a reasonable way. You mentioned Intel, which I would not be the company I would first think of yeah, when talking really about water usage. Really are there are there particular industries that people would be surprised by the the water consumption? People always think, you know, I should uh, whatever wash up with a bowl, which is great. Please, as a consumer, please conserve all you can. Like absolutely, low flow taps, toilets. Make sure you're you know keeping your shower to five minutes. Though I. Anyway, that probably says something about my personal attitude. <laughs> right. So, wait, five minutes is long? Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really we're spending 15 minutes in the shower. Um, well, agriculture is 70% of wolves. Wow. Exactly. 70%. Exactly. We think, like, you know, we knew it was big, but, like, not necessarily all people knew it was that big. And then when you cut that down. Yeah, what does that look like? I mean, it's, it's easier actually to say in the context of like the actual products you end up buying. So a pound of beef, for example, that's 17, that's one, that 1,799 gallons. 1,799 gallons? 1,799 gallons. What is, what is a 
five minute shower. You uh, oh, man, I, just, I should have that one. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to put, like, how many, how many minutes can I get in the shower if I get down on one pound of beef intake? I, I feel can like I, I'm, I'm terrible about this. We, like, give our kid, we, we still, like, Shining. give our kid baths. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. <laughs> it's fine. We give, like, give our kid baths, and the average baths, it seems big, um, is 30 gallons. We do a, a, a shallow one, so that's probably, yeah. like, 10 gallons whatever it is, and we try. An average bath is 30 gallons. Yeah, 10, so you, what you're looking at is that, like, to get a pound of beef, you're looking at 180 baths. So that's a bath every other day for you. Wow. For one pound of beef. For a pound the of end beef. The end product. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, but then, you, like, you can sort of trace this back. Um, I'm always pretty surprised by the cell phone number. That's that cell phone number, that's 240 gallons, the embedded water in a cell phone. What yeah. Do where, does, where, does, where does that go? Mostly mining. Okay. Mostly mining. Um, so rare earth metals. Mining, mining uses a lot of water to uh, do cooling, dust suppression, um, all this kind of uh, all this kind of stuff. Um, uh, so that's one. That one, and then the rate of turnover of electronics. I mean, we are not just using cell phones now, right? We've got that. You know, whether it's the iPads, Alexas, Google Homes, like you know, all this uh, all this kind of business, and, and electronic waste um, recycling is, is nowhere near kind of where it should be. So a lot of that just basically goes to landfill. Mm -hmm. um, a T-shirt. Because the cotton grown is 730 gallons. Um, and then the really big one, the emerging one, um, particularly again sitting in Silicon Valley, like, uh, people worry about the energy draw uh, from data centers. Um, data centers for last year uh, used 900 billion kilowatt, kilowatt hours per year, and that's going up exponentially. The demand for the cloud, um, you know, things like live setting on your iPhone, blech. Um, but 900 billion kilowatt hours per year. And Google disclosed that a plan for a data center in South Carolina was going to use 1.8 liters per kilowatt hour. So that's essentially 1.8 trillion liters of water in the US alone for data center cooling. It's massive. So I, I don't want to like, it's not like that kind of, you know, then that water is never used again. You can capture the vapor and there are companies like Infinite Cooling, there are really interesting ways of being able to like actually reuse that and recycle it within the context of a footprint. But just the use of water ubiquitously within society, uh, industry, all, all elements of commerce, supply chains, is what? Is what? It's everywhere. Yeah, I'm blown away by the, the beef number specifically. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not great. I knew it was bad environmentally. I don't think I quite realized the yeah. extent of it. Um, how, how much of this challenge is awareness versus technology? I think awareness is a big part of it, and I'm, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I just spent, uh, I was at an agriculture, uh, a small, very small agriculture conference in, uh, just outside um, Toronto uh, the other day, and there was a guy there, he's like a vegan VC, he's based over in, I mean, slightly unsurprisingly, in Berkeley. Um, but they've, they've been going, they've been going for 15 years. And I was like, whoa, I thought we were ahead of our market. Um, but they are being proven pretty spectacularly. Um, is that people are moving towards in their in their consumer choices that's just been the explosion in, in vegetarianism and, and, and veganism. And I think like part of this is just gonna happen naturally, is that people are going to migrate their consumer choices. I mean, but it's that, but it's kind of a confluence of, of issues. Um, everything from cutting down rainforests to cruelty to animals to the embedded water footprint, like whatever it is, to like cholesterol, right? You know, personal health. Mm -hmm. Um and then pressure on existing resources and then price rises. 
right? You know, the emergence of a, uh, a middle class with a willingness to pay in China means that, you know, pork prices are inevitably going to go through the roof because there's only so much land that can be given over to pork production. Um, but is it, um, but to revisit your, <laughs> to your actual question, you were asking me about whether or not, um, so is this a, is this a, an attitudinal shift we need or? Yeah, I mean, what I was asking is, is there a, a magic bullet technologically that can solve a lot of these problems or is it going to take a serious change in our relationship with water? Yeah. Um, so the, the magic bullet is a big and large kind of graffiti on a wall capitalized no. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. There, there is, and this is one of the advantages I think of uh, like what, what I've seen as powerful in, in our model. Um, is that you know we've worked with directly with 146 companies with this 13 that's going to be 159 10 more in Asia 160 we're going to be pushing kind of like 180 190 companies by the end of this year that we've worked with and we don't want to expand too far but like it's sort of like 400 and eventually a thousand kind of flowers bloom without overextending yourself because we need to make sure that we maintain our own quality with the future, you know, all the rest of it um, but it's so wide that you need to have the people operating on the consumer side of things, on the water treatment side of things, on the conveyance, on the uh, consulting engineering, the actual tools for consulting engineers to be able to rip cost out of the build process <laughs> for a wastewater treatment plant, like it is all over the place. But of the foundational things, a fundamental change of our attitude to water um, will happen. And like that's going to happen. It is going to happen. The question is, is whether it happens of our own volition or whether it happens to us. Like, you read that New York Times article about, uh, about Kamandu. Like, their attitude to water is very, very, very different to the attitude to water from somebody who is sitting in Portland, Maine, or Portland, Oregon, or Seattle, or Google. Mm -hmm. So either we are going to be forced into figuring out our own water usage, or we can do that of our own volition and not get to the situation where, like, there isn't enough to go around and people have to raise prices or there's fights in the street or there are queues on the corner to fill stuff up from wells or, or whatever. Is, is it fungible? I mean, if somebody in London takes shorter showers, does that help somebody in Kathmandu? Um, I, th 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 this is what I mentioned up front about what's being an intensely local problem. The answer is absolutely no. Okay. I'm from the west coast of Scotland. Right? One You're thing we are not limited by. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that we are not limited by is 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 water. Um, I look at our kind of local brewery and I'm like, damn, you guys are smart. Your like limiting factor is water, and it is literally falling on your head um, <laughs> all the time. Um, the Scottish tourist board is going to kill me. Um, uh, it's not. It's not. The actions taken by people in uh, in London are not relevant to people in Kathmandu. This this basically has to happen on on a watershed basis. Okay. Water is an intensely local issue, and that is reflected in governance issues. That's reflected in, uh, in um, uh, that's reflected in governance issues. That's reflected in legal issues. That's reflected in pricing issues. It's reflected in the actual structure. Even though it's ridiculous that there are one hundred fifty thousand water and wastewater systems in the U.S. alone, um, it's a huge part of the problem. But nonetheless, like you know, these things act as natural monopolies as a result of the innate qualities of water. Right, is that this is this is a, a global problem occurring on a very very local scale, but you know you ask people who were again in the Corn Belt last year whether or not this was a local problem, and the people of 
Iowa, Indiana, and Northern Missouri, whatever my geography in the US and Norway might be. But <laughs> but like whether those floods last summer were a local issue, it's like, no. You know, these are this is stuff that happened in a geographically contiguous area, but had a real and significant impact on soybean costs and wheat costs and whatever. And those are eaten by consumers kind of around the world. So what I find fascinating is the translation of these local issues into global issues quite quick. But then, you know, there is, there's ways, there's ways to bridge this. Bridge this. I, I almost threw my TV out the window in a hotel room last year. Um, when CNN, with however many, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of uh, international viewers, um, you know, the segment they chose to publicize was the insane person who decided that it would be a cool idea to tow an iceberg from, like, whatever, in the Antarctic Circle up to just off the coast of Abu Dhabi to provide drinking water for, like, something ridiculous, like a month and a half. Like, one, the thing's gonna melt, two, it's like, just no, just please stop doing this. Like, if you're gonna, like, dedicate time to actually highlighting solutions, please don't choose the crazy person. Like, choose the people who are doing the bore, the stuff that looks boring, but when you look into it, is an enormous market. Is there's a huge margin to be charged, there is a sustainable business to be built there. But, like, you know, it all depends on what stories the editor's like, I suppose. To that point, are there areas that a startup is more likely to be able to solve right within that that larger water cycle? Yeah, so that's a great yeah, it, and this is what we spend a lot of our time looking for. Um, and what I found over five years of doing this and seeing thousands of these things is that there are various things that you can kind of you know hopefully predict. There's an increase in the efficiency of membranes, which are the things that water is pushed through to purify. Right, we can get to the kind of tentacles, but that's kind of the basic. So improvement in the operations of those membranes is usually one. Like leak detection, always important, both on the pipes underneath the ground, outside in the street, but also in the home. Right, you don't want water falling through your ceiling because then you have to rip up your kitchen, and that's a huge hassle. Um, then there is like the quality of the water at the tap, like Britta being the big example. So there are there are um, big things that are kind of that you would go to first. But what I found most compelling about this job is that. You know, I'll be reading through, yes, okay, like, no, probably not, one, two, three, four, and then suddenly I land on the next one, and it's an area of water that I had absolutely no idea mm -hmm. about, is that there are endlessly surprising, uh, surprising markets um, out there. Like, we like desal, obviously, you know, you think of the 300 desal plants around the coast of Australia, or like desal in the Middle East, or like whatever it is. But actually, there was an enormous so market. Sorry, you mean desalinization? So like turning, desalination. Turning salt water into desalination. Yeah, my God. Right. Desalination. Really, really try and um, <laughs> avoid kind of industry speak. Desal go. Yeah, no, this is de desalination. Basically, changing salty water into um, usable uh, water, um, and usually into into drinking water. But like Aneka, who were in our group, they're the wave energy powered desal uh, desalination company. But they just look, they they do it, then they pump it on the ground. But there is an enormous market, there's a billion dollar market in the Caribbean alone, just starting with coastal communities. Um, they have to start with the highest possible willingness to pay to get themselves up the scale to drive down the price of these of these things. Mm -hmm. But they're starting with the, the results in the, the Caribbean. I would much rather the water they're doing 
being, uh, you know, cleaned and, and done by something that's bobbing around in the ocean rather than a diesel generator like out the back. And so would the owners and so would the clientele. Um, and this goes, you know, everything from the really, really sexy stuff like hardcore sewer technology. Like, very not, sexy. Yeah, really <laughs> sexy. Really sexy stuff. Yeah. Tell everyone, tell all your friends at drinks parties, <laughs> levels of sexy. Um, you know, sewer AI, they're based just down in Burlingame. Basically what they do is when you're inspecting a sewer pipe, you basically put a robot down it and it takes video from within, within your sewer pipe. And there's all sorts of stuff that's going wrong, like roots are growing into the sewer pipe, or something's broken, or there's a blockage, or whatever it is. But at the moment, that video is being reviewed by a very bored person, in a very dark room, who is both hungry and tired, and so they're great, but they miss it, right? And so AI is saying that we've been able to train this algorithm to be, you know, 98% accurate versus your like high 70s accuracy for a person with a pen, right? And like, meant to be able to like forecast that. And so what we love about being this inbound repository for ideas is that we get to work with companies that we could never have picked on ourselves. Like, lots of people in VC or accelerators, like, oh, they're always like, what's your thesis? What's your thesis? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I much, I much prefer my thesis to walk up to me in the form of a founder that has understood this way better than I could have done ahead of the fact and telling me um, something that I can then go verify uh, rather than having it all in, our, all in our heads to start with. This episode will likely come out around the UN's World Water Day. In their slogan this year, it is, everyone has a role to play. Yep. Along those lines, what can an average listener who's maybe not deploying capital, what can they do to help solve this, this challenge? Yeah, it's a, really, it's a really interesting question because we really do. Um, and I think part of me gets, like even me who spends you know, time with nose up to the glass of this issue 24 kind of hours a day, um, is that when you kind of look at the, at the overall use of water, um, uh, that like the consumer side of it is, is, is kind of sub 10%. And if you look at the, the ability to kind of, uh, to work on that 10%, what you're looking at in terms of the whole picture, it may seem marginal. So it's kind of easy to get, uh, lazy. But what we want people to do is just be cognizant, right? Is that just don't need a towel, right? When you're washing up, you know, don't, Make sure it's running all the time, just like use something simple like a washing up bottle, put the plug in the sink, or like, you know, whatever it is. You can use stuff to rinse off. And all of that makes a real, like, being cognizant of your shower length, like, how often you're taking a bath. Like, all of this stuff as a consumer, like, really does play a role. But I think the most important thing for people to think about is just, like, please let this permeate into your lives. Like, make it a part of your conscious decision making. Like, we are going there, hopefully. One of the good things that's going to come out of Australia being kind of on fire, essentially, is that there's going to be even more of a move towards people looking at the carbon footprint of their own decisions, whether that's flying or purchasing. Hopefully where they work. Like, the biggest thing that climate needs is people's hours, right? And it's the same thing with water. Like, if you want a meaningful industry to come and work in, like, Climate's great. Like, water, oh my God, do we need help? And is it a satisfying like, place to work? So you can vote with your feet, like, professionally. That's kind of an extreme uh, example. Um, but if you can let it permeate through into your decision-making, all sorts of really good things happen. And one of those things is it increases your willingness to pay, right, for the water that you have. If you value it more, you are okay as somebody living in 
lower pack heights and working at strike or whatever. But you're, you're okay with your bill going up 50% if it means that somebody in the Bayshore doesn't get pushed into debt by their uh, price cut. This is the question of community. Like, do we who are able to, do, do we who are able to pay more, pay more to make sure that others within our community and seeing them as people within our community, make sure that they have the access to the water that they need without paying money that they already cannot afford? So the, the um, increasing that willingness to pay on an individual level is going to aggregate into national water infrastructure renewal. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I would say is that, like, you guys, we just went to the polls um, in the UK, no matter what you think of the outcome. Um, but you guys are going to go to the polls in November, right? Like, there was all sorts of things to consider when you are putting an X in a ballot box. Um, but Think about this. Think about what, what your life would be like if suddenly the, I mean, you live in open, right? I mean, EV Mudder are amazing, so this would not happen to you. They're an amazing organization. But what would happen if, you know, suddenly there was a world water warning? What would that impact on your life? Do you want to vote for a candidate, whether it's local or, or national, that actually has a plan mm -hmm. for this? That it, this is part of that? Like, you may not care now, but you will care in the future. And just have it as part of your, your thesis, because, like, um, if you want stuff done at scale, government is a really good instrument for doing things at scale. And like nothing needs to be done more at scale than, than the US national water infrastructure renewal. It is dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, at least have it, have it as, as part of your, your voting choice. Those are the things that I would say. Thank you very much. Uh, is there, no, no, that's great. I, uh, is there anything that I haven't asked? We're just about out of time. Anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about or that you wish I, I had? Just that, like, we like what we do, obviously. Uh, we think we're pretty fun. Uh, we're also quite a good gateway drug into the, uh, into the water industry. Uh, and I know this is going to be coming out sometime in, uh, in March, but on, from March the 24th to the 26th, uh, we, we hold our annual Water Innovation Week, um, which this year has the theme, The Next Decade. Uh, we're going to look at the, the, the themes that are going to be really, uh, really kind of uh, direct um, the operations of the sector, but also people more at large for between now and 2030 to hopefully be in a much better position in 2030 than we are now. So it's part diagnostic um, and then part kind of action plan. Um, so we've got a demo day for our accelerators on the 25th. We've got a really cool afternoon, uh, including a, um, a storytelling workshop with a great pair of um, uh, people from uh, Texas called uh, Rogue Water. Um, they are the storytelling people within in, within water. Is that for investors or entrepreneurs? Or it, who are you? Uh... Come one, come all. Okay. Um, the demo day on the 25th is that should definitely be of interest to investors particularly. Um, but our summit is going to be really interesting. We've got a fantastic lineup of uh, speakers. And then we throw, we think that having fun is very important within an industry and it's not done enough in water. So our water innovation, so Water Garden 2020 is going to happen on the 26th. And it's, we, we think it's the best party in water. And we've got a couple of quite interesting tricks on our sleep that's going to be held at the, at the pub, um, which is in, uh, in, the, in the east of the city. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so anybody that wants to, to come down, uh, we, a couple of the uh, SoCal family I know are already going to be with us. So anybody that wants to come, uh, we've got people coming from New Zealand, from China, from South Korea. Like it's, it's a truly global thing. So come and find out what this water innovation thing is all about. All about because even if you 
don't care about it yet, it is sure as hell going to care about you sometime in the not too distant future. So, <laughs> so come get ahead of the problem. Where can uh, somebody learn more if they want to look look into Imagine H2L? And yeah, we'll, so we'll publish uh, a post on our website with some resources. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, I mean, the, the, the core of everything is the website, so www.imaginehtl.org. Um, and then if you want to know about the accelerator, that's called slash accelerator. Um, but then our blog is a really interesting repository. It's hosted on Medium, but it's accessible through uh, forward slash blog. Um, I would definitely follow us on Twitter, which is great at ImagineH2O. Um, it's a good repository for like a lot of the kind of interesting stuff that's um, that's going on. And actually using that at the beginnings of building a list around it, um, uh, you know, you'll see me bouncing around now. I'm at Green Farmer. Um, hard to spell. Maybe uh, <laughs> put it in the show notes. Stupid <laughs> choice of, of Twitter handle. Um, but everything's there on the on on the, the website. But if you if people are interested, um, I'm always more than happy to, to uh, speak to investors or entrepreneurs or whatever it is. Um, I'm just Tom at ImagineHTO.org, and, and I'm a, I'm a reasonable, reasonable place to start. Awesome. Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate you uh, sitting down and speaking to me. Thanks, Alex. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Money and Meaning. If you enjoyed the conversation with Tom, please share it with a friend or even two friends. It's very much appreciated on our part. As always, if you're interested in, in learning more about any of the topics discussed, We'll post a, an article on our blog at socialcapitalmarkets.net with more information about Imagine H2O and some of the great work that they're doing. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at moneyandmeaningpodcast at gmail.com or on social media at, at socapmarkets. In two weeks, we'll be back with an interview with legendary impact investor Jed Emerson, which uh, gives us at least half of the Mount Rushmore of of impact investors after our interview with, uh, with Fran Seagull back in, in October. So I know Lindsay had a, a ton of fun with that one and, and uh, we're excited to, to bring it to you. So stay tuned and we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. You've been listening to Money and Meaning, unlikely allies building new markets for impact. With your hosts, Lindsay Smalling and Alex Kravitz. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are heard. To learn more, check out our website, socialcapitalmarkets.net. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at SoCapMarkets. Thanks for listening.